Hey, what is up? How are we doing? Man, it's good to see you. I don't know if y'all realize how good you sound, but standing back there, y'all sound good. So good to be here with you. Hey, thanks for coming. If you're in the overflow, thank you for being back there with us. If you're watching through Santan or Scottsdale, thank you guys for, for being there with us also. And if you're at five o'clock coming back tonight, listening online, something like that, thank you for being a part of what God is doing here at Cornerstone. Hopefully, man, please tell me, has this stress series, has it, has it helped you at all? A little bit? Man, I feel like stress, it, it's... I'm out of control right now, and this, this has been huge for me. E- even today, like preparing for this this weekend, I, I was officiating a wedding on Thursday, and a bird, just like in the thing, pooped on my shoulder. <laughs> no lie. Like I'm fixing to walk down with the groom, and, and right, I'm like, how, what, how, who does this happen to? Why? And, and just, man, just stress. Glad that you guys are here. Hopefully today, man, as we end this series out, hopefully today is the day that, that stress, we, we learn how to deal with stress in a different way that helps us. I don't know, man, just, just make it to the end of the day. And, and even more than that, make us to the, at the end of the day be glad that we're still here, <laughs> right? That, that's, that's what we're hoping for. So hopefully this kind of helps, helps us with that. Now, Lynn has said some things that I think are super good um, over the past couple weeks. Like he said, faith isn't, it's not being afraid. It's what you do when you're afraid. Like that was one of the things that we learned through this stress series. Um, and then he's, one of the weeks he said that, man, if, if it's not good, that just means that God's not done. I was like, man, that's, that's so good. And, th- and then he said, um, if it's, it's good for us to trust in God when we can't see the hand of God. And it's this, this beautiful thought that, man, stress is doable, but we just have to keep our mind in the right place. Today, as, as we dive through this and as we kind of, as, as we dissect a couple passages of Scripture and as we, we look through what God says about stress, I'm hoping that we can come to this realization that it's, it's doable, that we can get through it. Because what I've noticed in studying and just kind of looking at life in general Stress doesn't happen from one little small thing, right? Like it's not just this one little thing that happens. It's that this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and that makes this happen. And then before you know it, you're ready to just go crazy. It's not just that something happens. It's that you have a flat tire on the way to work and then you're showing up for work all sweaty and greasy and dirty and then you're late for a meeting and as you walk in the door to the meeting your phone goes off and it's your kid's school who has pink eye and so now you're walking out of the meeting and you're going to school and you pick your kid up from school and you spend 14 hours in the pharmacy trying to get pink eye drugs and then you finally get your kid home and settle down for pink eye and now your conference calling to get the meeting that you were just in and your dog's thrown up on the carpet so now your boss sees you yelling at your dog and it's just this jenga and you just know that if somebody pulls the wrong the wrong peg man it's it's going to all crash down and it's going to be horrible what if today we could learn to maybe not attack that as a whole? Because I don't think that's even possible to attack all of that once when it hits. I think the key to getting through this is hitting it one at a time before it gets huge. If we can attack it when it's just one item, maybe it'll help. Today, I, I think we can do that. If, if you've got your Bibles, man, jump with me to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start in Proverbs 3. And, and let me just throw this out. I know that some of us in the room and some of us that are watching right now that you don't believe that the Bible is true. And so everything that I'm about to say in dealing with stress, you're gonna struggle with because I'm telling you from a book that you don't believe is real, that you don't believe is true, and you would probably even argue that you don't read things that aren't true. Can I just say that you know that that's not even a true statement, because if it was, the internet wouldn't exist. You read things, you do. You read things that you don't believe in. If you will spend some time in the book of Proverbs, I'm not saying you have to believe everything it says, I'm just saying there is so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Um, If you've never found it before, get a Bible, open it up in the middle and go a little bit to the right. It's right after a book called Psalms. 
Proverbs is one of the best, most logical, just wisdom-filled books ever. It, it was written by, most of it was written by this guy named Solomon, who Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. His dad was King David. David was the guy who killed Goliath the giant, kind of a big deal, that made a veggie tail out of it. This is his son, Solomon. Solomon was crazy smart. And when I read Proverbs, I don't know if this helps you, but I like to picture who wrote it in my head. So when I picture Solomon and I picture him reading um, Proverbs or writing it out to his kids, I picture this dude with a really big, huge, full beard and crazy hair and a really like silk robe. And when he walks, like it makes cool noises. And like right here in, in Proverbs, like in Proverbs 3, where we're at, as he's about to start just spitting this wisdom to his friends and to his kids, I just picture like he's walking in and he's just kind of rolling in with a big pipe and he's like, what's up guys, grab a seat. And he's got this real keep, like Rico Suave type voice that he just like speaks and everybody's just like, what? And he just starts saying these things. And he, he started in, in chapter three. And I think this is, if we're gonna deal with stress, I think this is where it starts, is, is chapter three, verse five. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in God with everything. If you want to get through life and, and deal with stress and, and be able to erase stress from your life, it starts with you trusting God with everything. And this is a true statement. I'm going to say this a lot today because I think there's power in it. If you don't trust God with everything, eventually you won't trust God with anything you get that if there's one small thing that we're holding on to, that eventually is gonna morph into different areas of our life and we're gonna go from not trusting God with everything to not trusting God with anything. If you wanna walk through life without stress, it starts with us putting our trust in God and putting our trust in a God who loves us, a God who wants what's best for us. And I get it, man, maybe it's hard to put trust in God with, I don't know, some jacked up kids. Maybe your kids are out of control and it's hard to trust God with your kids. Maybe it's hard to trust God with your job because you've been at the same, you can't get it, man, what am I, I've gotta have it, I, and it's just, it's hard. Maybe it's hard to trust God with money and right now your, your checkbook, the debt just looks something that, like the national debt and you're trying to, how do I even do this? Maybe, maybe it's, how do I trust God with, man, you just got a bad medical report. How do I trust God with my relation? How, how do I trust God with everything? If you want to walk through this, this is the start, and this is the basis of dealing with not just stress, but life. Trust God with everything. And, and I get that some of us, man, that we're struggling. I, I'm not going to trust God. You, you understand you're going to trust God or you're going to trust something else. You're trusting something with your life right now, and I, I don't care who you are, this is true of all of us. If you're not trusting God with your life, you're either trusting your finances, your bank account, your relationships, your athleticism, your, your looks, you're, you're trusting something, um, the government, I don't know. L let me ask you this before we dive in too deep. All the things that you're trusting, how's that, how's that working out for you? Because if, if we want to get through this without stress, I'm telling you, it starts with us trusting God with everything, because if we don't trust him with everything, Eventually, we won't trust him with anything. Solomon goes on to say this in verse 6. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And, and let me help, because submit, as soon as I said that, some of you, like MMA fans, you're thinking like armbar or like triangle choke or something. That's, that's a different submit, and that's cool, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying submit. He, he's saying trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. And in all your ways, submit to him or give control to him. 
You see, the, the, the reason that your life is out of control right now, most likely, is because you're in control. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. Can, can I throw this in real quick? If you're a teenager in the room, um, you get that about 99% of your ideas are horrible. <laughs> and I don't say that to be mean, I'm just being honest. About 99% of the ideas you come up with, they're ridiculous. Keep trying though, because that 1% could change the world. I mean, that could be like Google or something. That 1% could be life-changing. But about 99, tell me this isn't true, adults, help me with this. How many ideas have you had growing up where you're like, why has nobody thought of this? I am a flipping genius. Like, I'm the smartest person that ever, seriously, how has nobody thought of this? And then as you grow older, you look back and you think, what in the world was I thinking? Holy cow, how am I still alive? You, you have those. I remember as a kid sitting back thinking, I really love Mountain Dew and I really love Lucky Charms. Why haven't those two met in a bowl before? And now I look at life thinking, how am I still alive? Why? <laughs> we have what we think is a great idea. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Because I, I really think the reason that we have stress in our life isn't because of what's going on around us, it's because we're trusting in ourselves and not God. We try to, to help God out. We, we get in a situation and we think that maybe, maybe God just needs a little nudge. Maybe he just needs some little Tim help to come in and make this all better. And we realize that we're putting Mountain Dew and Cookie Crisp and, and God's like, no, 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 hold up. If you'll just wait and you'll trust me, I'm going to make your path straight. I'm going to make this smooth for you. I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to make this better if you'll just trust. Just sit back and trust in me. Submit to him. And I get it. It's hard. It's hard to give God control of our lives. It's also hard to go through life in a tornado and not understand why you can't get peace. Trust in God, give him control of your life. Let me ask you this, and don't answer this out loud because your neighbors will move and we don't have space for that. What is the one thing in your life right now that you are struggling giving God control of? Just, just think for a minute, and just, let's just be honest for a second. What is the one thing in your life, the one thing in your world that you are struggling giving God control of? Because it's easy to stand on stage and say, hey, trust in God, and it's easy for me to do that, but I'm just honest, I'm not trusting God with all parts of my life, I've, I'm trying. <laughs> What's the one thing that you struggle trusting God with? You get giving him control over that is a night and day game-changing situation for you. Now, I, I tried to come up with some, some things, and I tried to think through, like, what are the things that, because there's a lot of us, like, what are the things that the, the majority of us struggle with giving God control of? What, what are the things that most of us walk through life and we hold on to and we struggle giving God control of? And I came up with three, so we're going to walk through those really fast, and hopefully these three hit all of us. Um, if they don't, which I understand there's a million more than just three, so if I don't hit on one of those three, I don't know, watch Dr. Phil or something, because somebody hopefully can help read a book. One of these three, I think, hits the majority of, of people. Now, the, the first thing that we struggle with, I think, in giving God control of in our lives is finances. Did you hear that? That was all the air just leaving the room because I said finances on stage. And right now you're like, oh, here we go. No, we ain't going nowhere. Trusting God with finances is hard. It's easy to say we trust God until it's payday. Skip a couple verses and look at verse 9 of, of chapter 3. Because Solomon knew this and he speaks wisdom into this as well. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And, and let me help, because some of you guys just went, wealth, man, I'm free. That's not me. 
No, that is. That's us. We're wealthy. You get that. It, you get that right now if you go home and you have food in your refrigerator, you're wealthy. If you go home and you have a home, you're wealthy. If you have a refrigerator, you're, you're wealthy. You know that around 60% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. We are wealthy. Wealth isn't what we want, it's what God's given us. We are incredibly wealthy. And, and I love what he says, man, honor God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. And first fruits is a weird phrase for us because we don't really use this phrasing anymore. I mean, you're not gonna go out to eat later and be like, hey Tim, do you wanna go eat? Well, I don't have the first fruits. For, we don't do that. That's, that's a weird phrase for us to talk through. The people Solomon was talking to, though they would have understood what first fruits meant. You see, first fruits were, were exactly that. It was the first of whatever you had. So if you're a, a farmer and you're raising grain and you get 100 bushels, God got the first 10 of those. And not what was left over, the, the bad bushels that you, know, you can't sell. He got the best of that 100, the first 10 of that. The first fruits, was a t it, it was a process that was 10% of what you had went to God before it went anywhere else. Now, as time went on, we took that from first fruits and we, we kind of changed it to tithing. And, I'm just telling you, the first fruits, if you give God the first of what you have, it drastically changes your finances. And I get it. You're like, man, how can I, I can't afford to tithe. I used to think the exact same thing until I realized that I can't afford not to tithe because I learned that giving God 10% of my finances, he blesses the 90% and I live better off the 90% than I ever did off the 100%. And it's hard. It's not easy when you're looking at your bank account and you're like, how do I give Holy cow, I'm, I'm, if I had 200% of this month's income, I'm not going to make bills. How, how do I do that? And trusting God. And, and please, don't twist this into if you give God money, your Pinto turns into a Ferrari and, and your house instantly gains square footage. That's not at all what he's saying. God's not promising you wealth. He's promising you peace. And he's promising you a blessing of his, blessing, his presence in your life. Trust God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. And then in verse 10, there's a, there's a clause and a promise that goes with that. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. If we trust God with our finances, you understand that God's going to bless us. And again, not with wealth, but with his presence. And when we give God that 10%, he honors us and blesses us because we're showing honor to him. And I've never written a check to God or to the church hoping that he you know, doubles it. It's not, it's not a Ponzi scheme where I'm writing him a check hoping that it triples and comes back to me. It's an obedience issue. And I'm not saying, and I'm not harping on this right now because as, as a church, we want your money. We don't want your money, we want your heart. We want your heart connected to who God is because obedience in tithing and obedience with finances, it's not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And when we struggle with that, we're holding on so tight to our, our finances. And please listen to me. If we don't trust God with our finances, eventually you're not gonna trust God with anything. And it's a, dangerous, it's a dangerous slope to walk down trying to hold on and to trust ourself with that. And if we trust and honor God with our wealth with the first of what we have, not the leftover, God blesses us. And I've, man, talk to me afterwards. I've got countless stories of not knowing how ends we're gonna meet and God showing up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. Even when it doesn't make sense, trust in God. Now, I think that finances are, are rough, and I think that's a hard place for some of us, and maybe that's you, I don't know. I, I think another one that we struggle with trusting is relationships. 
I think that a lot of us struggle, not just with finances, but I think a lot of us struggle with trusting God with relationships, especially if you're single and you're over 25. God, I've been single forever. When am I gonna get married? God, you, you gotta fix this. And then if you've been married for a long time, you're like, God, when are you gonna fix this? It seems like it never, <laughs> sorry. It seems like it never, <laughs> it never ends. God, when are, when are we gonna fix this relationship? When are you gonna show up in our, our relationships? And, and it's hard to trust God with that. Flip over in the New Testament for just a minute. Go, go to Ephesians. I'm sorry, not Ephesians, um, Philippians chapter two. Go, go to Philippians 2 for a second, because I've noticed this with our relationships. My problem with relationships is really simple. Um, I'm usually right, and they don't get it. <laughs> and so it takes me a while to walk them through the windy road of why I'm right and why they're wrong. And by the time I get there, I've exerted so much energy, now I'm angry um, because you don't understand that I was right all along, and now we've wasted 45 minutes, and I could have watched, like, I don't know, Netflix or something, and instead I've had to walk you through the... the I'm right. It's super frustrating when you're right and nobody else understands that. I remember a couple years ago, I was right. And I remember it because it's only happened, I think, twice in my life. I was right. And I knew I was right. And I remember so hard, man, trying to get them to see that I was right and trying to point them out. And I'm like, how do you not see this? It's like the sun is in the day and the moon is in the night. It's like that apparent to me. How are you not catching that I'm right and you're wrong? And I remember trying so hard to get them to see that I was right. And it was a day I was getting ready to officiate a wedding. And I'm walking into the wedding and I, I do a lot of weddings and I'm, I'm really, a, I'm a horrible like emotional person. I'm a crier, um, which isn't good in weddings because I'm an ugly crier. And if the bride starts crying and the groom starts crying, I got snot and I'm that, Ooh, I'm that convulsive guy. And I, I try not to and I hate it because that's the last thing that you want in your wedding photos is some guy with a big beard and just like snot everywhere. And he's like, uh, that's not the photo you want. So I try to insert humor in wedding. When I do weddings, I try to say something funny because I've learned how to read people and I can watch the bride and the groom and I can tell when she's about to cry. And man, I remember I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation where I'm right and I know I'm right and I can't get them to see that I'm right and it's driving me nuts because they just won't grasp the fact that they're wrong. All right, I'm out. I go to this wedding and I'm sitting there in the wedding and I look at the, groom, or at the bride and she's got this little tear like just starting to come down her cheek and I'm like, oh no. And I look over at the groom and he's doing this. And I know it's about to hit. So I say something, trying to be funny in the moment. And I look at the groom and I say, this is, this is a completely true story. I look at the groom and I say, dude, you understand that in this moment, you give up the right to ever be right again. <laughs> that in itself is a completely true statement. In that moment, men, we give up the right to ever be right ever again. And then God showed up and said something. And I hate it when he does this because I don't even know where it came from, but I, I say this and then you know, they start laughing and luckily they, they stop crying and I don't cry. And then God says, you give up the right to ever be right again because in this moment, your job is to no longer be right, it's to be righteous. It's not to be right, it's to be righteous. Look in, look in, in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You get, if you pursue the, the fact that you're right, most likely you're gonna miss the point of being righteous. And it's not about you being right, it's about you being righteous in a situation. It doesn't matter if you're right, you, 
you realize if you're right and you prove that you're right and you do everything possible to make everybody know that you're right, you haven't helped anything. And honestly, if you think about it, usually the people who are always right, they don't struggle with relationships because they don't have any friends. Because <laughs> they're always right. It's not about you being right. It's about you being righteous. It's about you not pursuing the fact that you're right and making people see the fact that you're right. It's doing exactly what Paul's telling this church in Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. And I love that word humility. Mother, Mother Teresa once said that humility isn't thinking of yourself less, it's thinking less of yourself. Does that make sense? It's not thinking that you're worthless, it's just spending less time thinking of yourself. It's putting other people's needs in front of yours. You want, man, you want peace and you want freedom from stress in your relationships. Start putting people's needs above your own. And I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying be righteous. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you in the interests of others. And then, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You get that if Jesus wanted to be right, we're toast. If he wanted to be right over our lives, we're doomed. Because if he wanted to be right over us, he has the right to come in and destroy us because I don't care who you are, we all have messed up in some way, shape, or form. We all struggle with sin. We all have things that we've done that we're not proud of. If he wanted to be right, he could come in and wreck shop. And justifiably so. Instead, he chose righteousness. He didn't come in to destroy. He came to set free. And maybe this is the whole reason you're here this morning is to just hear this one simple sentence. God is not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He's not disappointed in you. He doesn't wish that you were somebody else or wish that you were better. He is madly and deeply, passionately in love with you. And he is in love with you and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And you will never do anything to make him love you more or to make him love you any less. Trust God with your relationships. And in your relationships, love people the way that Jesus has loved you. If, if you will stop pursuing to, your right to be right and start pursuing your right to be righteous, it will drastically, drastically change your relationships. You realize if you don't give your relationships to God, eventually you won't give anything to God. If you don't give God control of your relationships, eventually God won't have control of anything in your life. The third one, um, the third one I think we all struggle with is us. How do you trust God with you? How do we, how do we trust God with, and how do we give God control of of our life, what, what does that even mean? How, how, do we, how do we trust that God really is in love with us? How do we trust that God isn't waiting because I did all of this junk in my past? How do we trust that God isn't waiting up here with like a lightning bolt for us to step out in the street so he can be like and he can set us straight for all the stupid things that we've done? How can we trust God with our life? I struggle trusting God with my life. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that to you or not, because I'm supposed to, that's supposed to be easy, right? I'm supposed to stand up here and say, oh, I trust God with my life and everything's gravy. 
I can say it, um, it's not gonna help because it's not true. I struggle trusting God with my life because I, I think, and I don't know if this is you, I think God needs help loving me sometimes. I think that I need to remind God of some things that I haven't done so that he can love me through some things that I have done. I think that because of who I am as a person and because of my thoughts and because of the things that I try so hard to hide from people that I need to do things to make God love me. I need to show up and I need, I've got to volunteer. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to help this person. I've got to help that person. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Because if I don't, does God really love me? And it's so stupid. Like I'm seriously ever going to do anything that God is going to look down from heaven and go, wow, that Tim Beal kid, he's a, that's pretty amazing. Look at there. I love him. Serious? What am I going to do that's going to make God look down and love me anymore? Maybe today you're like, that's not you. I mean, I get it, we're a whole lot of people. Maybe today you, you've never struggled with that. You've never struggled with God loving you. You've never struggled with finances. You've never struggled with, with relationships. Maybe you've got this all figured out. Your struggle isn't stress. Your struggle is pride and probably drugs. Because if we were honest with each other, <laughs> if we were honest with each other, we have all struggled in some way, shape, or form. We have all struggled with trusting God and giving him control with something. We have all struggled with giving God everything except for this. God, you can have my finances, you can have my house, you can have all this, but I'm gonna take care of my relationship because you really need help. So I'm, I'm gonna take care of this and then we get in a situation where we're like, God, why is this so messed up? And then we feel out of control and we are out of control because we've been in control. Did you catch that? Most of the time our lives feel out of control, it's because we're in control and we haven't given control to God. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 2, verse eight, because this is beautiful. And again, this is so freeing if we'll actually believe what this says. For it's by grace you've been saved, verse eight. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's the gift from God. You get the one thing that we all have in common in this room, regardless of how messed up we are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of how big your bank account is, regardless of how beautiful you are, regardless of how fit you are, regardless if you do CrossFit and you eat healthy, regardless of any of that, we all have one thing in common, and that's the need and the desire and the hope for God's grace. No matter who you are, we all desperately need God's grace. And you understand what grace is. Grace is the gift that you get that you don't deserve. Grace is the gift that God gives us that we did absolutely nothing to earn. And it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how bad you are, it doesn't matter how holy and how righteous you think you are, your need for grace doesn't change. And the gift, the free gift that God gives us is grace. It's the birthday present when it's not your birthday. It's the warning that you get instead of the speeding ticket. Grace is the gift that you get that you didn't deserve. And I love the way that Paul words this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, through putting our trust in God, through giving God control of our lives. And from this, not from yourself, it's the gift from God. In verse nine, not by works so that no one can boast. You get that the gift that God has given us in grace, we never have, we've never done anything to earn it. If we could earn it, it wouldn't be grace. And I don't, again, I don't know where you're at in this whole conversation as we look at stress. I don't, maybe finances is where it's at. I know that as I talk to people, the main, the, almost the number one cause of fights that I see in couples is usually geared around finances. 
And it's because they haven't, they haven't trusted God with their finances. They haven't trusted that God really is going to bless them, that he's going to hold true to his word, and they think that they can fix that. And again, if that's you, how's that working for you? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you're in this place and you've struggled with relationships and you're struggled trusting God with, man, I've, I've got to, I, I can give you all of this, but I'm going to take care of relationships. Trust, I got this one covered. And you're wondering why your life is a mess. Or maybe it's just your heart and your life. Maybe it's just the fact that you struggle trusting God with your life and giving him who you are and trusting, giving him control, because you get that he really does have what's best for you in mind. He loves you so much. He loves your kids more than you love your kids. He loves your spouse more than you love your spouse. He loves you more than you love you. And he really does have your best interest in mind. And his desire is to give you peace and freedom, not regulations and rules. I don't know where you're at with this. I know that if you don't trust God with everything, eventually you won't trust God with anything. And I know if you're struggling with stress right now, the easiest way to release that and to have freedom from it is to give God control. To give control to someone who actually knows what they're doing. Someone who built you, who not only built you but created this world. And to trust that he really does know what's best for us. If you struggle with that, you understand that right now, somewhere in Israel, there's an empty tomb and a bloodstained cross that was Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm serious. This is for real. If you don't trust God with everything, eventually you won't trust him with anything. Pray with me. God, thank you for, for who you are. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that no matter who we are, God, that it doesn't change your love for us, that we can walk in this place completely just not even believing in you, God. We can walk in this place completely upset, angry, cursing your name, and it doesn't change the fact that you are deeply and madly in love with us. So Jesus, in this moment right now, would you help us to just grab a hold of the truth that it doesn't matter who we are, it matters whose we are. And your love for us has never, has never been bent around us. It's always been because of you. And we can walk out of this place today completely free from stress, completely free if we accept and give you control of our lives. So God, would in this moment, man, start with me because I'm the biggest hypocrite in the room. God, I'm standing on stage telling people to give you control and yet I fight with you on a daily basis with my own life. God, would you help me be smart enough to give you control of every avenue of my life? And Jesus, for everyone else in this room, if it's finances, man, would, would you help give them the, just the wisdom to know that if, if they trust you that you're gonna take care of it and you're gonna bless them? God, if it's relationships, will you help them to understand that you know what's best and just to be patient and God, that you're gonna show up and that you're gonna do something that they don't even see yet and God, will you give them the courage to stop trying to be right and to start trying to be righteous and God, if it's just with trusting you with their life in this moment, will you just let the, the truth, God, let it ring so loud and just resonate in our hearts as we leave this place today. Would you help the truth of the, just the fact, God, that you are so deeply, madly in love with us that you bled and died on a cross and you took the guilt and the shame of who we are and you erased it because of who you are. So God, would you help us today to trust you with every aspect of our life? Jesus, we need help in doing that, so we ask this in your name. Amen.